Welcome to Reflection as a Service. I'm Paul Merrill, and I'm joined by James Jeffers. And we're here to talk about software development and entrepreneurship. And James, it's been a while since we recorded. A lot of people probably don't know that sometimes nope. we stack up recordings. Well, yeah, they won't know. They're just listening to one episode after another. Right. It's just been, it might have been just a few minutes. Right. So it's been since like March, and today is Memorial Day yeah. in May. Yeah. So it's been a while since we re recorded. And I've missed you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I missed you too, Paul. <laughs> So I'm glad to get back together. Tonight we're going to talk about two subjects. Generally what we'll do is we'll talk about one software development idea and yeah. we'll talk about one entrepreneurship idea. And so tonight those two ideas are the role of the team lead. And I'll talk a little bit about why that came up. And then also we're going to talk about coaching. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, that sounds fair. Coaching within entrepreneurship. So, um, so how, how's it been? It's been two months. Everything going well with the business and everything? Uh, yes. If being busy is good, uh, <laughs> but it's to the point where I feel at times overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that I think has to be done, and then my ability to get it all done, which which we'll dig into in the yeah. second in the second half. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good. And and so I think that's probably a good thing having enough business that you feel overwhelmed. I think think that's probably a good thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to you're making a, a, a squeaky face. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, well, <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about it. Yes. Um, and so things for me have been going really well. So I just wanted to mention several things that have happened. Number one, I recorded for test talks with Joe Calantonio. So I'm looking forward to that coming out. It'll be about episode. 108 for test talks. That's a podcast about testing. Um, and it should be coming out, I think in June, uh, and this is 2016. Secondly, star West, uh, I, we've talked about, I'm going to go out to Anaheim for star West in October. Oh, you're got, actually, you're actually going out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a whole thing. There's like a plane involved. <laughs> no, you're not going to take an epic road trip. <laughs> no, like I a 68 micro bus. No, I will not be driving from North Carolina over to California. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Um, so there's Star West in October. Looking forward to that. And then I'll be doing STP, which is Software Test Professionals, which is in Dallas this year. And I have a half-day workshop there. And I also have a, um, a, a track talk as well, which is going to be lots of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. STP is in Dallas this year, and it's in September, I believe. And then I'll also be talking at, let's see, Triagile in June, which is June the 30th. And, which is in Raleigh, and that's here. And then, and I, I wish these were chronological. And then I also heard back on um, one other one, which is the Better Software Conference down in Orlando in November. So it's going to be a really busy fall, late summer, fall. But I'm looking forward to it. And I can't wait to meet a whole bunch of people and hear a whole bunch of different ideas and get lots of feedback on this podcast and the talks that I'm going to do and whatever else. I, I'm, I'm nodding up and down because this is a podcast and people can't see me. <laughs> we have to talk it out. We have to talk it out. So let's get going. Let's talk about the role of team lead. So what happened, well, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I had a conversation with a friend recently and they were saying they would like to move into the role of team lead with their team and actually change into that position. And this is something that both you and I have done. And I figured maybe what we could do, and you can, we can shoot through this with whatever later, but maybe one thing we could do on this, this podcast is talk about different roles within software development teams yeah. and our experiences with them and what we would have done differently and, and what our learnings and things. But team lead is one of the ones that we've done. 
So I, I was thinking this individual has never done this. Maybe there's something that we could share. Maybe our experiences would, would keep them from doing it if, if they don't want, if we, if we say the things that were the most painful or it would keep, make them want to do it more if we talk about the things that were good. Right. Well, I think even if we, even if we came back and said hey, it was all terrible, which it wasn't, uh, I, I don't know that I would suggest anybody not do it just because we had a bad experience. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I think, I think going through that process of moving from sort of like that band of just being a technical contributor to that kind of dipping your toes into the, the management side, um, I think that that's, that's a really valuable experience for anybody who's like, I want to grow, uh, even if you don't want to go into management. Um, but do you, do you want to start about your experiences or? No, you... I think I think that's a great place to start. I mean, I would say exactly the same thing. Is um, you got to try different things, and just because you try something and doesn't work this time, doesn't mean that it might not work next time. Or right. uh, and just trying it, you'll you may learn enough that you get better at the job that you do like when you when you find out about it. So, I, I would say those it might help us to kind of frame the conversation and and talk about what the role actually means yeah. to you and me, so that we're all on the same page. So how would you describe the role of a team lead within a software development organization? Well, um, I guess I think it could mean a lot of different things. But to me, it always meant somebody who was still contributing technically to the team, right? But um, they sort of took a position of uh, a person who knew a lot about uh, how, to, how to do the job and had a high degree of proficiency at it. Uh, but also began to have a lot more visibility into the needs from a product perspective because I think that's really the only way you can make good decisions. But not really somebody who uh, was seen as somebody who's going to be a, like a, a res- I don't want to say a resource, a person manager. You know, like, yeah. like a first line manager at IBM, you know, like their job, yeah, it was kind of mostly keeping the group functioning as a unit. And they, they were also responsible for some KPIs about what the group was producing. But they really didn't do much of the technical work. They probably had a technical background. Most everybody at IBM did it in the day. Um, I remember my first team lead at IBM was phenomenal. And, you know, I always looked up to him and I thought, well, if I ever maybe a team lead, it'd be like him. Um, you know, and he was the kind of guy whose door was covered in Dilbert cartoons, which I learned <laughs> later was a warning sign. Uh, <laughs> A warning, a warning not to talk to him because he was the pointy-haired manager. No, because or, because a warning of. Well, you know the the thing is that if you if you walk into an environment and you see lots of Dilbert cartoons pasted everywhere, that tells you a little something about sort of what's going on with people who work there. It might tell you about their perspective right. on the rest of the organization. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but you know, he was great, and so um, you know, he was the sort of guy who was he he seemed to know everything about the business. He seemed to know everybody involved. Um, he was extremely sharp technically um, and knew how to man- uh, manage the manager, which was a great lesson to learn because he kind of told me, he kind of pulled me aside and said, listen, whenever you talk to our manager, you need to be aware that you know his motivations aren't going to be aligned with your needs necessarily. Yeah. He's working for IBM, not for you. Right. Uh, which was a big lesson because I was fresh out of school and I was like, you know, every, we're all in the same boat. Why aren't we all rowing in the same direction? Um, but, you know, so then years later, I'm at Microsoft and I was given the chance to lead a small sustaining engineering group. And um, and then after that, I was made team lead for one of the dev groups. And so I kind of carried a lot of those 
ideas in my head about what a team lead should be able to do. So I do think for me, it was like mostly technical proficiency uh, with a lesser emphasis on like, what's the product gonna have to deliver and what's the best way to get that done. And then just very, very uh, small taste of people management Mm -hmm. because suddenly, you know, not only were you responsible for yourself, but also people were looking to you for, I've got a problem. Can you help me solve it? You were the first person they were going to go to. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I were to define it, it wouldn't be too far from what you're talking about. So I think, yes, it's an initial um, time to learn about resource management. And I'm not saying the word resource in order to say that people aren't people. Obviously they are, but just in order to have some vocabulary uh, that we can use. But yeah, I think it's dipping your toes into resource management and learning how that actually works because it's really easy on paper and it's really easy watching somebody else. But when you actually have to do it, it's very quick that one realizes that you're hacking something much more difficult than any compiler or computer or system you've ever worked on. Um, and, um, and, and by, and by hacking, I mean, it, you're, you can't even hack it because it's a two way street. Um, you have to get agreement. You have to work with that individual to get buy-in and whatever to get them to do the things that you want. Um, I guess there were several other pieces. One was outward communication, uh, or, and getting input from other groups as well. Yes. So that communication was key. And also you're representing your group when you go to do those things, you're representing the technologies involved in your group. Um, you're, you're representing your own know-how and the teams know how the team has got to buy into you being that team leader too, right. which is a big part of that. And then, um, and then you start, I felt like there was the beginnings of this rift that you mentioned, which is an allegiance to individual contributors versus an allegiance to the business. Right. I felt, I felt, um, dissonance with that at the time. Like you felt yourself, like you knew that ultimately your, your paycheck was coming from the business but you kind of had camaraderie with these guys that you were like, just a couple of months ago, I was just like them in the trenches. Well, you still are. I think that's one of the things I forgot. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think if it's a lot different today, I mean, we are those guys, you know, like if we go back into those organizations, we have to be those guys and be with them. You know what I mean? You mean like working because we've become the man. (laughs) That's not what I, no, I hope I, I hope not. You mean, like, as we're working with individual contributors a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, and and I think if either of us were to go back into that role as a team lead, we would do it like because we'd probably be very frustrated with what we weren't able to to do. But um, yes. But I think that, and, and I and I have no interest in going back to that. <laughs> just to be clear to anybody who's listening. Um, why not? Why not? Why not? Yeah. Because it, I'm having much more fun doing this, uh, building a, a company um, and learning all the pieces that go with it, learning to persist it, uh, learning to persist different pieces. And, yeah. As opposed to like, I'm going to try to make myself back into a cog and try to fit myself into this larger machine. Well, I don't want to call anybody a cog. I don't, well, I don't feel like that's it. It's just that there are, there are, people are built in different ways. Yeah. And at this point in my life, the way that I was built... Um, is encouraging me to move forward in this path as opposed to one in working in someone else's organization at just about any level. There are people that I would love to work for, but if that opportunity came, I would still have to weigh it against the what I have right now with building this company. Team lead, though, getting back to, to a team lead idea, I think the bigger part for me on that tear was, or, or the, the rift between 
how do you support the people that are working for you and how do you support the business was that at the time I saw them as two different things. Now I don't. Um, now my perspective, and I, I imagine yours is different now as well, is that we all go to work. We show up if we're salaried employees. Money appears in our banks on the 1st and 15th of the month. It just appears just because we showed up. And, that, and, and it's hard to think of where that comes from and actually realize that someone is signing that money over to you for you doing certain work. And that certain someone is on your team. They're the leader of your team. And they're the ones who are directing where this whole thing goes. Um, it's not us as, as individual contributors deciding on which technologies to use. And there is no battle between the individual contributor and the higher levels. We're all on the same team. We've all got to be moving in the same direction. And I didn't understand that at the time. I felt like individual contributors, we were the, we were, we were something different. Then, then the rest of the management chain. Yes. I don't know. Like, and I felt like team leads were the beginning of this weaving between the two. Well, definitely part of the weaving, but like, I don't know. I constantly felt tension. I remember one time in particular, uh, we were going to hire somebody and uh, at the time, my manager said, um, yeah, come into my office and let's, let's think about what we want to offer him. And I was like, okay, sure, let's, let's talk about it. Um, and so he said, I, be, I think we can, he's been without a job for like seven months. I think we can lowball him. And I was like, what, why would you do that? I mean, he's probably the strongest person we've interviewed. And as it turned out, it was probably one of the best hires we ever made. But, um, but my boss was like, really concerned about keeping that salary as low as possible. And it didn't occur to me why that was happening. Uh, but then he kind of showed me a spreadsheet where he had everybody's name, their salary, and, you know, all the details about each person. And then I was like, oh, oh, like they, they really keep track of this stuff. Like for them, it's not just, it's just not funny money. That's in a big pile in the middle of the room. Like they, they're very aware of, you know, who's getting paid what and how to minimize that. Like that's an actual dollars and, and, and cents issue to them. Yeah. Um, and so I think at that point, that was probably the, the point where I kind of felt the most distressed. No, I take that back. Going further into, into Microsoft, uh, having to play the politics game between the different team leads and the different managers. And, that, and that's mostly because of how they ran Microsoft at the time. They used the stack ranking. And so it was very competitive if you wanted to assign... Uh, ratings to people on your team, you had to fight for it. And so you had to play the constant political game with your superior, your, your manager, your second line manager, and then all of their subordinates. Um, so, and maybe that kind of skewed my, my view about it. And it, I guess it kind of depends on what company you're in, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're not in a stack ranked organization and it's a lot flatter in terms of hierarchy, um, your experience is going to be a lot different. But I mean, all that aside, even even all of that, uh, I still felt like the job, what it was demanding of me was so uncomfortable compared to what it was with me as a contributor. But the, the, the discomfort that I was feeling was not that it was doing something bad to me. It was growth. Yeah. And I didn't really see it at the time, but looking back, it was like, oh, the reason why it never felt like I was ever doing anything correctly because I wasn't, but it was also because I was learning everything over again. Yeah, um, I was very used to if I saw a problem, jumping in and doing it myself, 
And so one of the first things that you had to learn how to do is to delegate. So you, you had you had to go back to your team members and say, uh, Dan, uh, I need you to, to tackle X. Uh, Steve, I need you to fix the build server again. Because normally that's what I was doing. And then I suddenly realized, like you said, like I'm going, I have to go to a meeting. Yeah. You know, I, guys, I'm, I'm laying down, I'm going to thrust this sword called a meeting into my gut. I'm going to yeah. fall on that sword so you guys don't have to. Yeah. Because uh, my manager didn't want to go, but he wanted somebody there to represent the team and he's going to pick me, right? And so that was really hard because I felt like I, it, in order to solve problems, I had to do it myself. And then it took me a long time to realize that it was actually better for the team to sort of give them the problem and say, you guys are doing the work. You probably know the best way to solve it now. Yeah. Tell me what you guys need and I'll, I'll make it happen. But, you know, I, I shouldn't just jump in and try to do it for you. Yeah, I think that's really important. I definitely came across the same thing. I think there's a whole episode in there about delegation versus abdication because that was the place where I started learning the difference between those two things. They are different, so look it up. We won't talk a whole lot about it now. Um, well, let's think about your friend. Like he, he, he wants to know. Yeah, yeah. What can we say? So what can we say for someone aspiring to be a team lead, whether it's in software development or in QA? What can we tell them? I think I would ask like why he wants to become a team lead. Yeah. If you're just doing it for the money, I don't know that that's the best reason. I think if you're really looking for money, go into the sales organization. Oh, that's a good point. Because I think someone pointed out to me a long time ago that if the, the closer you are to the transaction, the more money you're usually going to get exposed to. Um, not to say that you can't go up a management track and still make good money, but... It's I, harder to prove your worth, I believe, yeah. Within, yeah. within the deeper you are in the technology as opposed to being at the sale and making a sale. Like if the sale doesn't come in, nobody brings in any money. That's just Correct. the way it is. Yeah. There's no revenue. So you start bringing in sales, you are have you, a very clear worth. Are you suggesting that my technologically superior product doesn't just throw up cash just because it's the best? <laughs> if, it's a, <laughs> if it's a dollar printer. If, <laughs> yeah. These views do not represent the views of James Jeffers, only those of Paul Merrill. Maybe listening from the Treasury Department. Um, well, okay, so like if you're, but if your friend is like, I want to go in the team, as a team lead because he's maybe dissatisfied with just doing the technical work and wants to see it can I impact or have an impact on, on the product, on, on my organization, on the business more than just what I'm doing right now. I think that's a very good reason to become a team lead because you will, you will have no choice. You can't be ignorant of what's happening above you and be a good team lead. You can't make the right decisions. Um, you can make decisions, but they're just not going to be really good ones. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I, I think if you're, if you're bored or if you feel like you're stagnate, stagnant, yeah. I think that would be a good reason to start trying to do something else, whether it's moving into that first line of management or something different. I think if you fit with others or for whatever reason, it's probably because you're the leader of that group or one of the leaders of that would have a natural aptitude for doing it or a natural something about them to do it in order to, to move into that. So some of the skills I would think about how you present yourself, can you speak with the people you, are you good at it? And are you ready to learn how to be better? Because I don't think you have, if you're aware, I would think. Um, are you good with people? Do you want to be good with people? Do you like working with people? And God bless them. Without them, I don't know where we'd be. But there's some guys who are like, live for the food slot. I don't really want to, I don't want to sit with other people. And the person's not going to be a great team lead. Because like you said, you have to be able to communicate with people. And I think also, if you're doing because yeah. they're not going to verbally tell you, hey, Paul, I'm really, really into <laughs> And they'll just... 
you know, they won't the whole system burn, right? And then, then later on, they'll be like, well, I tried to tell you. And it's like, you cut that off. Can you talk to me about that? And, you know, and then you can get them to this, like, well, I, I feel like so-and-so that you can't bring it out of somebody. Um, that's probably a knock against you. So that, I think that's an important skill to have. You're yeah. Saying. You probably will figure out pretty quickly, oh, like, that's easier than doing it the other way. Right. Uh, great team leads have. And one of them is figuring out when someone has cornered themselves and they're about to be humiliated or embarrassed and as soon as you detect that, um, being able to provide that person with a way to save face. Oh, this is like Sun Tzu. Whenever you have an army cornered, make sure to leave them a way out. Because otherwise they'll fight to the death. Right. Right, right, yeah. Um, I never really thought about it like that. But I think, especially people you work with every day, um, like if, you, if you're really good at humiliating somebody and making them feel badly... Um, you will completely destroy any kind of loyalty or esprit de corps that they once had. Like if you're if you're somebody who's in charge and someone else below you screws up, it's probably right and proper that you criticize the thing that went wrong and you know tell them directly about what happened. But what you learn you don't do is do it in front of all their peers. Yeah. Right. You kind of take them aside and say, "I noticed this was a problem, and then I'm kind of disappointed in how this turned out. Here's how I think it could be improved." Uh, or you need to improve this, whatever, but I would not do it in front of their peers, right? Yeah. Because to that person, that can be a very humiliating experience, right? Yeah, and that's, that. that's the case with anybody. I mean, nobody really likes to be called out in front of anybody else anyway, I guess. Um, that's yeah. something that I should probably learn more about. <laughs> I've made that mistake a few times. Um, yeah, I think I think those are all really good points. So you did a little studying before you came in here to record this. I, I did. I, I, I pulled up some articles. Frustratingly, I did not see uh, the articles that I thought I would see. Like, I, I was hoping to see a really like spot-on discussion by Uncle Bob Martin. I think I actually a long time ago read one of his said, "I'm going to attribute it to him. I might be wrong, but I think he said, you know, if you look at the landscape of management in technology, everybody wants to be an officer." Like a, the analogy of being to an army, mm-hmm. and what he said was that for a lot of developers the officer role is someone who takes command and makes decisions and they take the blame or the glory for that decision being right or wrong. But for a lot of developers, because of their personality, that's not really their strong suit. Their strong suit is not taking the the, the, um, the reins of glory and then driving the teams to success. Their real strength is then their long history of technical knowledge and being able to point out to the less senior developers in the team uh, yeah, I've seen this before, and here's here's how we want to consider approaching it. So instead of being an officer, he thought what you really need are senior NCOs. You need the sergeant majors more than you need lieutenants and majors and, and colonels. Uh, because And so I, mean, I think we both know guys who are perfectly content to not move up the management yeah, ranks. And that's fine. Yeah, and they yeah, want to do a solid technical job, and you, and you drive them out, right? If you tell people you have to move up or out... Yeah. Well, some people are just going to move out and get another job elsewhere. And right. so all of the knowledge that's in their head walks out the door. So instead, provide them with a role that you acknowledge the fact that, yeah, they're not the ones calling all the shots, but they are the ones that can look at a design decision or an implementation decision and say, you know, I, I, I think we need to think about this. Here's, here might be a better way of doing it. Or I've seen this before. Here's how we solved this 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. I think another thing to point out is who is it you're going to learn from? 
Um, I think if I were making that decision right now and I'm looking at whoever the, the manager is or senior manager or whatever that I'm going to be, that's going to be teaching me how to do this role as, and helping me learn how to do it. I think I would look at that very carefully because if you don't like whoever it is that you're working with now, that's about to give you this promotion or help you move into it, you're really not going to like them later. You're about to get um, a lot closer to them. Yeah. You're about to get a whole lot closer. And I think looking at those individuals and saying, do they have the same values I do? If they're different and where those values are different, why are they different? Um, is it something that I haven't experienced yet and they have? And is that something that I want to look at and try to understand and learn? But then I think also, um, is it somewhere you like? I mean, and, and, is, and what have they done? And what is it about what they've done that you like? Um, I know for myself, I, I had, I've had mentors that were really, really good and uh, several that were very, very good. And I still look up to in a lot of ways um, and, and would love to learn more from at some point in some way. And then there were other ones who just were absolutely horrible. And there's no chance I would want to work with them again or spend any more time with them. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be. That's just how, how life is. So make sure to look at who those mentors are. And it doesn't always have to be your, your boss or the person who you don't have to be best buddies with your boss or whoever it is. You want to be able to have an honest conversation and you want to be able to have them tell you what constructively can help you grow and help your team do better and help you move, move into this role and grow into this role. Um, there are sometimes are people in other teams or in other parts of the organization or in other organizations that can help you grow as well. Right. Yeah. But I guess that's about all I had to say about that role. Okay. Did you have more? I think that's pretty much all I can remember. The rest of it has been... <laughs> burned out of my head but reach out to us on twitter or wherever uh, on the website wherever you want to if you want more information on that and um, i think james and i are usually willing to put at least 140 characters into a response if you, yes. if you want questions in that way or or email or whatever and if this did help you make a decision let us know yeah we'd love to hear about it yeah absolutely do you want to talk a little bit about coaching we said we would talk about coaching yes so um you're asking how things were going for me and so in my consultancy, I had landed a couple of pretty big projects and I had value priced them and I'd gotten paid up front Excellent. and I began doing the work and pretty much everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong, Oh no! Uh, which hasn't been a disaster, but it's been really, really stressful. And um, I realized that there are probably some projects that where, where my time is best served um, and where it's not. Right. So putting together a feasible technical solution, I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at, but actually going through uh, and spending day after day after day trying to upgrade old software stacks, well, I can do it. And I probably built most of my early career handling software stacks, like as a as DevOps person, as a system administrator, and then as a developer you know, throughout the years, I just realized that that's not really my strong suit anymore. And so I think the lesson that I've learned is that going forward, like I'm going to be a lot more selective about what kind of jobs I take. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I realized, well, you know, I, I'm not real sure how to go about doing that. And so then I began to realize, oh, there's actually a lot of things that I'm discovering that I don't know that I don't know to quote, Rumsfeld. But I thought, you know, Paul said he's been having a really good experience with a coach that he engaged. And I thought maybe I should reach out. And to me, that was kind of like, like 
kind of crashed in the Rubicon with the consultancy because it was like, well, uh, well, I, I do want to get to a point where I'm selling a product more than the service side. Sure. Service side pays the bills right now. And it's like the resistance I felt was, well, I don't know if I want to get good at my consultancy, but at the same time, it's like, I don't really think I can go further unless I am really good at it. Uh-huh. And, and I need, I need to have a coach who's going to basically point out the fact that my knees aren't high enough and that, you know, my, my wrist is in the wrong position and, you know, some, someone to point at you. What and sport is that? I don't need to be high. or jogging. <laughs> well, so look, when I started looking into some, some coaching, it was the same kind of, the same kind of idea. And one, one of the thoughts that I had was, uh, I, I went back to golf. I love golf and I love playing golf. I love being around golf. I would love to spend more time and actually get good again at playing golf. Um, I got to hit some balls the other day and that was really fun. It was the first time in about a year, um, since, since I had my second kid, uh, the, the first time that I've gotten to hit some, just hit balls and I was able to do it again, which was really, really nice and move the ball around and stuff like that. But what I realized was that I spent a lot of time from like 2000 and probably 2006 until 2012 or something like that just trying to get better and of course my score did drop down underneath 100 and in golf dropping your score is is good um so under 100 and i got into the 90s and whatever but i just kind of stayed there and couldn't go any farther and eventually i realized a couple things number one my back was getting worn out every time i swung the club and i don't have a great back anyway and so I wanted a swing that would help my back. I wanted to see if it was possible to have a swing where when I got done with a round of golf, I, I felt okay and didn't have to lay down the whole next day. And then the second thing was I wanted a, a better score and I wanted to learn how to do it better and to do more things and to enjoy golf in a different way. And I went to a place called Golf Tech, which I'll totally pimp, even though I know we're on a technical podcast here. But if you want to get good at golf, Golf Tech is the way to go. Just spend a lot of time and energy uh, working with them. Put in the time and, and you'll get something out of it. Um, they also use a lot of technology there, which is pretty cool. Hence the name Golf Tech. Hence, hence the Golf Tech part, yeah. But I realized that after doing Golf Tech, my score started dropping. And it dropped from like the consistently in the mid-90s down into the 80s. And I had been getting into the 80s some, but not consistently. And this dropped it down to where, you know, by mid-summer of each year, I was playing in the low 80s. And that's, that's actual fun golf. Like at that point, you're not, you're not trying to figure out, you're not trying to figure out how the mechanics work and how to hit the ball. You're doing something completely different. I could go on and on about like getting back to coaching. Like the mechanics were becoming subconscious for you. No, well, the, no, yes, yes. So you, you get the mechanics to a point where they are right. You know how to do them. You know how to correct them when something goes wrong. You know how to, uh, the feel of something going wrong or the feel of something being right. And you can only know that. By knowing the inputs and outputs and doing it a gazillion times. And so I started getting better and better and realizing that I could self-correct and things like this and, and things were more fun. And I was playing a different kind of golf, the kind where you look at the course and you say, oh, they're trying to get me to hit it there and they're trying to get me to do this and I don't want to aim at the hole. Instead, I want to aim over here to this grassy area instead of, you know, all those kinds of things. Um But I got I got good and it was because of the coaching, because I had a great coach there. And so I thought with my business, it might be the same thing that I could go out and hit a gazillion balls and try to do sales a gazillion times with this business. But if I went out and tried to find a good coach, someone that I really felt comfortable with and worked well with and that we understood what each other's goals were, 
and how far we could go together, then things could get really good. And they've started getting better. Uh, I, I've seen a bump. I'll, yeah. I'll say that. So, sorry, I, I just went, rambled on and on there. No, I think that's... And then that is exactly... I think you might have mentioned it. We were talking about coaching a couple of weeks ago. And that's kind of what pushed me over the edge to say... I mean, I kind of looked and said, okay, I made these great deals this quarter, but that was more like... That was just I like I had a good day at the at the on the on the course. I want to consistently have a good day. Yeah, and I want to like, know why that worked. I want to know what I did to right. make that happen. And then, and that's when I was like, I need to make the call. And I, and once I did it, I really felt good. Like, oh, okay, like yeah, this is going to cost me money, but it seemed like the investment was completely worth it. And I'm not sure why I didn't do this sooner. Maybe because because I'm a stubborn person. Well, for me, it's total stubbornness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do not like to ask for help unless um, I know unless I really need it or whatever. Uh, lately, I've gotten more willing to ask for help because I realize how much farther one can go when you listen to other people's experiences and try to learn from those rather than having to fail yourself, <laughs> rather than having to go through them yourself. I think I, someone pointed out a long time ago that, well, it was a long time ago to me. Uh, they said <laughs> um, a lot of times people that are in our field, they're, they kind of grew up they were an intelligence child, right? And so they could easily pick up things like math. And science and things that other people that might kind of say that's kind of hard, but for them it kind of came yeah. easily. And then you get to a point in your life where you realize that things aren't coming easy to you, and it's hard, and you've kind of hit your natural personal limit as far as like what you can do yourself. And so, but you've because you've had this history of easily picking up things and mastering them uh, in a short period of time. Once you get to stuff that takes a long time to master you're like get really frustrated and you're like well if I just keep grinding on it I'll get it yeah. and then you're like oh wait well maybe there's someone else who can shorten that time and that's kind of what I was looking for yeah so. yeah and I totally agree with you I, I, I feel the same way about that and a lot of I kind of was always good at things it seemed like like whatever I tried for the most part if I put my time into it I could get better at it with yeah. almost anything yeah, I, I kind of was just grinding on it, like you said, just trying to make the hard work work. But then at some point, I also started to realize that there are people who put entire careers into marketing or into sales before they go out and start a business. And that gives them eons more uh, uh, jump start as opposed to where technical people come from um, in understanding how to make a business work, to actually build the revenue and have customers and get that going. Building the product really is almost secondary in a lot of ways to that other part yeah so anyway yeah i it's it's helping me i'm glad to hear it's helping you too all right cool so get a coach if you need a coach whether it's for entrepreneurship or for becoming a team lead or or golf, um, or golf. <laughs> coaching can really help and it can move you along listen to the people around you um i guess that's what i come away with yeah yeah solid advice and it's a, a worthwhile investment so yeah well, this is Reflection as a Service you've been listening to. We're here to talk about software development and entrepreneurship every couple of weeks. We love talking to you guys. We're really appreciative of your time spending it with us. And we look forward to hearing from you again. Is there any thought you want to leave with us, James? No. <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment. I'm kind of thinking of head to our next episode. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you next time. And thank you so much.